All right, all right, all right. Welcome once again, everyone. You're joining us here in the flesh. We welcome you joining us by live stream. We're glad that you're with us as well. And even our podcast group, we welcome you as well. We hope both of y'all are doing all right. Uh, All right, so speaking of Thanksgiving, uh, let's talk about God, shall we? Um, Exactly the kind of topic you might expect for us to talk about in a place like this on a day like this. This is a part of our series called God Talk. And um, in this series, what we do is we just, you know, bring out a word from our uh, faith vocabulary to have a conversation about what do we really mean when we use these words, which are very common in our faith language, our lexicon of, of faith. But sometimes these words just kind of maybe roll off the tongue and roll into the ear of the listener, um, perhaps without much reflection about what these words mean. So it's a worthwhile conversation. Today, we want to talk about uh, maybe the word that is at the center of the faith conversation, and that is the word God. I have to say, just even phonetically, it's not a beautiful word. It kind of, something just kind of comes out of the throat, maybe gets stuck in your throat every now and then. It makes it Fun uh, for a certain religious type, God, you can talk about. You can really kind of work the word a little bit, uh, the way it sounds. So maybe it's worthwhile for us to really pause this morning and slow down and think about what exactly do we mean when we say the word God? It was a book written not too long ago by an author named Rob Bell. Great title. It said, what are we talking about when we're talking about God? That's a great title. And really, that's kind of the question for today. When we talk about God, what are we really talking about? I had a conversation with a teenager, and this conversation was really kind of the genesis of my thoughts that I would like to share with you this morning. And she said, she began, we were driving in the car, and um, she said, I was reading in Genesis recently, and I have a few questions. (laughs) And you know that's kind of like the setup. Okay, far, far away, dear. What you know? What are your questions? So she goes, okay. So in Genesis, it says that God walked in the garden. Does that mean that God has legs? Like, did God really walk in a garden like you or I might walk in a garden? So that was the setup to this. To this conversation, and I'm thinking from that very moment, just from that leading question, oh boy, here, here we go. We, we're about to have a conversation, you know, about God. Um, and so that was like the short version of the conversation, and so this morning what I'm presenting to you is kind of the long version of my attempt at answering my teenage daughter. So again, the question, what do we mean when we say the word God? Furthermore, just to kind of start off with a few questions. Can we really be certain that we're all referring to the same thing when we say God, the word God? And if we do have different understandings of the meaning or the referent that we're pointing to when we use the word God, if we have, in fact, different understandings, does that really matter? Does it matter what we're pointing to when we say the word God if we share different, or if we have, hold, different understandings, does that really matter? 
would this be a significant hindrance or obstacle in our communication with one another, right? Um, so I throw out all those questions just to kind of set the stage. Um, and here, let me say in the affirmative, um, in fact, everyone, every single human being has some kind of definition of God, believers and unbelievers alike. Um, even those who would deny that there is a God, even those folks have some kind of definition of what it is that they're denying the existence of. I love the, the, the phrase, I need to go back and credit the original, um, the person who originally threw this out. Um, but since I can't remember the person's name, I'll just take credit for it. Um, it's the statement that says, you know, tell me about the God that you don't believe in, and chances are I don't believe in that God either, right? So even someone who denies the existence of God has some kind of definition, some sort of, like, what do you mean when we use the word God? So all that to say, from the very beginning of this conversation, it's important for us to realize that there really are, properly speaking, there really are two foundational alternative meanings of the word God. Um, and both of these two meanings or definitions or understandings of the word God, both of these are found in the Christian tradition all the way through. From the Bible itself, that's what we're going to see this morning, and even throughout modern speech and understanding and even the Christian uh, conversation, Judaism as well. So we're going to start with this kind of this fork in the road um, and have an appreciation for these two very different meanings of the word God. And I want to give you a quick summary and then we're going to go back and, and expand on them a little bit, take a closer look. In this fork in the road, we can say, we can begin like this. And on one fork in the road, when we use the word God, what we're referring to is, we can think of God as a being beyond the universe. And in this category, God is understood as a supernatural or superhuman spiritual being who exists somewhere beyond the universe. Keywords here are supernatural, superhuman, all-powerful, all-knowing, creator, understood as separate from creation. An analogy might be, of, might be like a God here in this category is thought of as like a, like a, a furniture. The relationship between God and creation might be thought of as a furniture maker and the furniture itself or an artist and the art itself. So that's God as a being beyond the universe. The other fork in the road here at the very outset is God understood as sacred presence. So here in this category, using the word God, here God is understood as sacred presence who is both right here and who fills and contains everything in the universe 
at every moment in time. Here, God is understood as always present, everywhere, at all times. God is understood as permeating all things at all times and all places. So in this category, God is not a being that exists somewhere beyond the universe, whether up there or out there or whatever. But rather, God is right here as well as infinitely more than right here. He is everywhere, both filling and containing all things within himself. Now, these are two very different understandings of the word God. And they are, again, I have to say, both of these understandings and meanings of the word God are found side by side in the Christian tradition throughout. Again, starting with the Bible itself, and we're going to see that, um, and in, in Christian speech and Christian theology and so on. Um, and I'm going to try to explain why it might be that both of these two very different meanings of the word God why they would both uh, appear in the tradition. I'm going to try to explain why that might be. But first of all, I want us to take a, take a closer look at each of these understandings. So let's go back now. Let's talk about God as a being. Um, and as we've done previously in this conversation, in this study series... We want to begin looking at the English dictionary, not because the dictionary is necessarily authoritative, but because it gives us a fair representation of how words are used in our common speech and understanding. Here, if you look up the word God in the dictionary, here are some examples of what you're going to find. This is from the Oxford Dictionary. Here the meaning of the word God is the creator and ruler of the universe and source of all moral authority. The supreme being. Here's from Webster's Dictionary. The being, perfect in power, wisdom, and goodness, who is worshipped as creator and ruler of the universe. Here's the meaning of the word God from the American Heritage Dictionary. A being conceived as the perfect, omnipotent, omniscient originator of the universe and worshipped in monotheistic religions, a being of supernatural power or attributes believed in and worshipped by a people. Notice the common thread across all of these definitions of the meaning of the word God. What they share in common is the idea of God as a being, and as a being is therefore separate from and distinct from the universe. See, that's, that's inherent to the idea of a being. That's, that's what we mean. That's what we mean when we describe anyone or anything as a being. It, 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 it has to do with separation and distinction from all other beings. That's the name. That's the meaning of the word being. And, and it, it, again, I'll say it's, it's, it, 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 it's understood and it's expected that we would think this way about God. Here's an example from The New Testament, which would be familiar to many of us, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, pray then in this way, our Father in heaven. Inherent in that way of speaking is the idea of God as a being, God as Father 
in heaven. So here are some components of this thinking of God as a being. So God here is thought of as a person-like being, a being like a person. So God thinks, God knows, wills, decides, takes action. God feels, God loves, God cares. Perhaps even God judges or punishes. These are some of the aspects of God as a person-like being. And furthermore, God is thought of as an authority figure, a person-like being who is also an authority figure. Like we saw in these definitions that we read, um, God as the ruler of the universe, the source of all moral authority. God has revealed what's right and wrong, how we are to behave and what we are to believe. And not only this, but because God is thought of as the ultimate authority figure, God will judge all human beings by their standard of behavior, etc. So the idea here is God is thought of as like the most incredibly strict parent that you can imagine. Although God is loving and kind, he's also believed to be fiercely severe in his punishments, at least many would would believe that. Another, another aspect that's inherent in this thinking of God as a superhuman being is, for lack of a better way to say it, God is thought of as an interventionist. In other words, because God in, under this category is thought of as separate from the universe, then for God to act in our world is like this idea that God has intervened from outside of our world into our world or our experience. And so from this perspective, prayer is thought of as some kind of petition for divine intervention, right? So in answers to prayer are thought of as instances of divine intervention. Another angle within this broad category of God thought of as a being separate from creation um, is Basically, the idea that God is something you can argue over <laughs> as to whether or not God exists. Some argue that God exists. Some argue that God doesn't exist. And what both parties have in common in that conversation is the presumption that the word God refers to a being who may or may not exist. Um, and, and by the way, most atheists who argue that God doesn't exist what is inherent in that whole conversation is this assumption or the presumption that God is a being who is separate from the universe. But that's not the only understanding of what we mean when we use the word God. The alternative category for what we mean when we say the word God is God understood as presence or God understood not as a being but as being itself. Here in this category God is understood to refer to an encompassing reality who is all around us all the time and even within us. An example here would be from the Apostle Paul Speaking at the Areopagus in Athens, it's found in Acts chapter 17, and Paul says, 
to these philosophers as he's speaking before this kind of group of high-minded philosophers. Paul says, as one of your own poets has said, in him, Paul here is referring to his understanding of God, in him we live and move and have our being. So notice from just from that statement, we can ask a series of questions. Where are we right now? Well, the answer is, according to that statement, we are within God right now. So in other words, here in this thought category, God is here now all around us in him. We, we live in him. We move in God. We have our being in God. So in other words, God is not far off out there or removed from creation, not in any way. Rather, God fills creation at all places, at all times. And Paul here in, in Acts 17, he's not just making up stuff. He's actually drawing upon his very Jewish tradition. Here's from the psalmist, Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol or in hell, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will hold me fast. Here the psalmist is drawing from the ancient understanding that's commonly referred to as the three-storied universe. So the universe is understood as three stories. There's the heavenly realm, the earthly realm, and then the realm below. Sheol is the Hebrew word. Hell would be the more common modern English term. Uh, it's J.R. Tolkien in, in The Lord of the Rings. That whole, that whole series of, is written from this concept of the three-storied universe. And the point is, what the psalmist is saying here is, take your pick. Go, go into any of those realms and God is is there because the word God here, again, refers not to a being who is somewhere located somewhere in the universe or outside of the universe, but rather God is understood to refer to a sacred divine presence who fills all things at all times. We can find this in the New Testament as well. In the letter of Ephesians chapter 1, Referring here to Christ, he has put all things under his feet and has made him, that's Christ, the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Fills all in all. All things everywhere. Fills all things. Colossians 3, same idea. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Notice that. Christ is all and in all. Imagine, imagine what happens when you take that to heart. Understanding that 
Christ is all and in all. Imagine what happens when you take that to heart and you, and you realize that, well, let's just talk people. Whoever it is that you lock eyes with, according to Colossians chapter 3, Christ is in all. Whoever it is that you lock eyes with, Christ is there. What are we talking about when we're talking about God? Jesus said, John chapter 4, God is spirit. Not, 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 not God is a spirit, but God is spirit. God is, that's the English word, the original Greek word, pneuma. It's the same word in, in Greek. Spirit, breath, wind. It's the same word. It's translated into English as spirit. It's the Greek word pneuma. God is breath. God is wind. God is spirit. An analogy that's often used in this conversation is the analogy of an aquarium. So think about an aquarium. The water of an aquarium is not separate from the fish. Rather, the water surrounds the fish and even permeates the fish. And yet the water is more than the fish. The water is intimate with the fish and the water is beyond the fish. In the same way, we can use that as a rough analogy. In the same way here in this category, God is not separate from the universe, but rather God is beyond the universe, even as God encompasses and contains the universe. The, one of the ancient church fathers, St. Irenaeus, has a great quote as he's developing these ideas. Um, and he says that God contains everything and is contained by nothing. That's a trip. But it brings to mind kind of the aquarium image. And so notice from this phrase, God contains everything and is contained by nothing. Notice that everything is in God and yet God is more than everything. Now that's a, that's a trip. And you can understand what I mean when I said earlier. These are two very different meanings of the word God. And yet... Both of these understandings <coughs> are found, and rightly so, found in our tradition, in our scriptures. Um, and some of this may sound strange to talk about, and those of you who've been around here with us for some time, you know that we talk about this with some regularity because it's important to keep all this together in our minds, in our reflection. Um, and understand this. So, so again, I'll say, it might sound strange to hear me describe God as presence who is all around us and who is not separate from the universe. But I want to say, as I've said before, this is nothing new. And actually, what I'm drawing upon here is what many of us picked up, um, if you've been in the Christian tradition, what many of us picked up in Sunday school. 
when we used to talk about when I, I remember when I was a kid, we learned, you know, little kids learn these three big words. Tell me about God, the Sunday school teacher would say. And we would say, well, there's three things you, we, can, we know about God. God is omnipotent, God is omniscient, and God is omnipresent. Anybody heard, remember those three words? Omniscient, it mean, what, are those, what does that mean? It means that God knows everything. Um, omnipotent, all-powerful, all-powerful, all-knowing. And then we say omnipresent, what do we mean? God is everywhere. Yeah, yeah. So this can only be so if God is understood not as a being separate from the universe or distinct from the universe, but this can only be so if God is understood as presence itself who contains and fills the universe with divine presence. So God here is understood as, like you could say it like this, <laughs> God is divine withness. No matter where, like the psalmist said, no matter where I go, God is divine withness, presence. So the next category that I would kind of lead your reflection into would be make some kind of effort to allow this understanding of God to sink in a little bit, to sink in not just to our vocabulary, but, but sink into your soul. And I want to begin in that category of, of reflection, I want to begin by saying that what strikes me is that as we begin to think about, reflect upon, let it sink in, that God contains all things and is contained by nothing. <laughs> I want to begin by saying, I think that this understanding of the meaning of the word God, it changes our understanding of reality itself. What is suddenly becomes uh, sacred. Reality itself is sacred because reality itself is soaked in God, animated by God, energized by the presence of the divine. The great British thinker and writer C.S. Lewis, he talks about this beautifully. Um, he talks about the laws of nature in this category of thinking. So he asks the question simply, what is gravity? And, and in most instances, when you ask what is gravity, in most instances, you'll get back um, the verbal construct of the law of gravity, and usually in Newtonian terms, you know, bodies in space attract, you know, one another, however that Newtonian law of gravity goes. Or if you're familiar with Einstein and the theory of relativity, you get a different answer. But still, you get some sort of description of the law of gravity. Well, C.S. Lewis brightly points out that to articulate the law of gravity is not, is not to describe gravity itself. It is to simply state the law that describes gravity, which is a different thing altogether. And so the question remains, 
what is gravity? And if we, if we refuse to accept a statement of the law of gravity as an answer to the question, then the only thing ultimately that we can say in answer to the question, what is gravity? The answer ultimately is God. What is gravity? Well, it's, it's God active in reality itself. What about, what about this whole conversation about creation? And I mentioned before, the furniture maker and the furniture or the artist and her art. What about this conversation of creator and creation? Well, in the first category, God understood as a being. Um, we could say, well, yeah, God is the being who created creation many years ago. And creation is now separate from God's self, right? Like, so the clockmaker and his clock. So God made the clock and started ticking, and then the clock just kind of ticks on. But in this second category, God understood as presence itself. The takeaway here is the universe at all times is dependent upon God for its very existence. And this is the classic understanding of the relationship between, between creator and creation. It's not as if God as a being created creation and then there it is, like a child blowing a soap bubbles and then the bubble just kind of floats until it's done floating. But rather, creation itself is constantly dependent upon God for its very existence. And so creation is not something that happened and then, but creation is a continual process where reality itself is sustained by the divine presence, the universe and everything in it. So the idea here is that creation was not an event that occurred a long time ago, but creation is continual. So if God ceased creating, then creation would cease to exist. This is the classic understanding, the meaning of creation. So Creation, then, the whole conversation about creator and creation is a conversation about the universe, its dependence upon God, not primarily about its point of origin in the past. Now, this is a giant thought to grapple with. And I, I just want to say, just in working that thought kind of down into your pores, this understanding of God exposes the fallacy of this highly uh, contentious conversation between, about the relationship between faith and science. In fact, to study the physical universe, then, is to study the reality of God. Yes, God created this too. Yes, God fills this too. That's the study of the physical world is to study the handiwork of God, the right now sustaining presence of the creator. Oh, yeah, God is animating this as well. This is all his handiwork. What about, what about prayer? 
with this understanding of the meaning, the word, the meaning of the word God. Let's talk about prayer. Let's think about prayer, more specifically answers to prayer. Or we could just say, let's talk about God's involvement in our lives. Well, we're thinking about this category. If, if God is understood as a being, then his involvement, again, as I said before, his involvement is thought of as some kind of intervention in the world, in my world, from somewhere outside of my world. But what about, what's the meaning of prayer if I understand God as sacred presence? Well, here, God's involvement in our lives is presumed and obvious. Sometimes we may be more or less aware of God's presence and God's involvement. Um, sometimes it may be apparent to us that his presence is more concentrated and rich and etc. And there may be other times when his presence, his will, if you want to use that language, might be less noticed by us. That's an awkward way to say it, but I'm trying to speak within this framework of the reality of who God is. It's like um, maybe an analogy would be um, if you're swimming in the ocean, you know, you, 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 could, you could imagine swimming in the ocean on a day when, when the seas are calm versus swimming in the ocean on a day when, when the seas are rough and there may be large waves. But on both days, you're surrounded by the water of the ocean. When there are no waves, you may not be so aware of the water. And when there are waves, you might be more aware of the water, its movement around you. But in both cases, you're completely surrounded by the water of the ocean. Or maybe imagine yourself sitting on the porch, sitting in a porch swing. And one evening, you're, you're there and the air is still and there's no breeze. Another evening, you may be sitting on that same porch swing and there's a very noticeable breeze. Well, in both cases, you're, you're surrounded by the air, but you may not be aware of it when the air is still. And you may be more aware of it when there's a breeze. Well, in the same way, we are constantly surrounded by the divine presence. That's the, that's the meaning of the omnipresence of God. And let me just say, Everything we're talking about, this is the ancient and orthodox understanding of God. This is the Christian understanding. It's within Judaism as well. That's what we just read from the Psalms. To, to use the fancy terms here, we're saying here that God is both imminent and transcendent. When we use the word imminent, what we mean is God is right here, right now. When we use the word transcendent, what we mean is God is more than right here. God is beyond. God contains and fills all things. Um, so I say all this, and it does raise some questions. Um, like, for example, what do we mean when we talk about God as a person? Like, where does that leave us, right? Because it's in the scriptures. God is father, king, judge, shepherd, mother, lover, and more besides that. All those meanings of the word God are actually found in 
the scriptures. And that's going to remain the case because that's the only way we know to talk about because we're people. We relate as humans. And so we talk about God that way. But those images don't control the meaning of the word God. We're going to have to conclude early this morning. Father, we bless you. We honor you. We thank you for your time here. Thank you for our time together. Um, And we pray that as we go, you would help us um, with these ideas. In Jesus' name, amen.